church. I love my church. I love my church. Right before I went to bed, I looked at my bank statement and saw that I had $62 left for myself and my wife and, you know, left for us to, to live on over the next week or so. And um, I realized I, I just didn't know what I was doing. And the fact of the matter is, is that I tried to control every aspect of my financial life. We are continuing our series, I Love My Church. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to begin today. And uh, as you are turning there today, again, I'm so excited for what the Lord has for us in this series. Um, Again, we're on our fourth week, fourth week of I Love My Church. And uh, next week is our final week of the series. And then following that, uh, don't forget, uh, in October... First three weeks of October, we're going to be doing our series on dangerous prayers. Uh, We are going to look at three dangerous prayers uh, that when we commit to pray these prayers, God can be unleashed to do some amazing things in our life, and He will spark a fire that will literally uh, change our lives and the lives of those we have contact with. And so we're going to look at that in October, so don't miss uh, that series, Dangerous Prayers. Uh, But as we start this morning, uh, just a quick review. We've been now, again, this is our fourth week, as I said already, and and we've gone through a lot of different things about how we can love our church, the ways that's communicated. Uh, But the one thing that I keep going back to is that we discovered that our love for one another as the body of Christ is the direct evidence to the world that Christ came to this world to save, to seek and to save that which was lost. That, That our love for one another, that the unity in the church Jesus says that that is an evidence to the world that I came and that I love them. And so we discovered the first thing we have to do is is have a love, a true love for our church, for each other. And we said it before, uh, if you guys got the shirts and it's still so great to see every week, somebody else is wearing a shirt. I love that. Um, And so next week uh, is the last week of it. So do wear your shirts if you have one. Uh, But it's got to be more than a t-shirt. Right? It's got to be more than just something we do in September during a sermon series. Uh, it has to be something that transcends just gathering together on a Sunday morning. It's part of that, but it's not all of that. And so we love one another for the true Christ-like love. We also discovered that we must be willing to allow our new connection with God through Christ to allow us to connect to one another. Right? We talked about that before, that we have now been connected, been plugged into the Father And now we can allow ourselves to be connected with one another. Some of us have built up fences in our lives, especially in the area of relationships, that need to come down so we can do life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, The reality is we need, not we should desire, but we need each other in this world. You need the church. I need the church in my life. Uh, I cannot be what God has called me to be without the church. I cannot serve the way God has called me to serve, as we talked about last week, that, that I need to be praying and seeking God's will and then praying to the Spirit and saying, reveal to me what that gift is so that I can serve my local church. And I can't do any of that unless I'm connected to a local church. And being connected to a local church is so much more than just showing up on Sunday. It's more than just coming here and sitting in a seat and hearing a message and some good music. And man, praise the Lord for the worship this morning, Amen. And that last line of that last song, man, it's a love so amazing that it actually, it's so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my, basically my everything. And that is an amazing love that we would understand to the point where we say, I'm surrendering everything to that love. I'm holding nothing back to that love. And why can we be so free in surrendering everything? giving my soul, my life, my all to that kind of a love because I understand that love is for me and it wasn't there for me just when I was good. That love wasn't just available to us when we were doing the right things and living in right ways. It was available to us when we were enemies of God. We were disconnected and distant and we had nothing to do with God and he pursued us with his love. And so I serve the church, not so much. I mean, we serve the church to serve each other, but I really serve the church more to serve who? My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I mean, isn't that really the reason, the motive we do everything we do? Well, why should we be good employees? We shouldn't be good employees to get raises and to get promotions and to get attention and to get noticed. That's not why we're, as followers of Christ, good employees. We're good employees because we should work as though we're working for Christ. If you have a business or you run a business, you shouldn't be a good employer and do well by your employees and, and try to structure things in a fair way and be honest and be genuine and truthful to your, your workers, your employees, just because you want them to give you praise and you get more and more attention. No, no, no. You do that because you realize you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything we do and all things, we're to honor and glorify Him. And I've said it before, man, we have so much influence in just the everyday stuff, don't we? Did you ever think about this? Just in your everyday life, just going to work, going to school, doing what you do every single day, but doing it with the mindset of, I'm going to glorify God through this. I'm going to think about Christ today. How would he have me dwell in this situation? How would he have me have this conversation? How would he have me resolve this conflict? And when we do that, just doing the everyday, you're not doing anything extra, by the way, right? We all go to work. We all, some of us go to school. We all do these things every day. So we're not adding anything to our plate. We're just doing what we're already doing, purposely glorifying God through that. And watch how God will use the everyday ordinary to radically transform you and those around you. And I'm always amazed. We always think, what do I got to do? I got to do something more. I got I to add this in. I got to add that in. I got to do this. And God's going, no, no, just keep doing what you're doing. Do the everyday, but do it with me in your heart and mind. Do it with me before you. Be the kid that goes to school that doesn't just fall in the line with everyone else and makes fun of the other kids that other kids make fun of or disrespects the teachers because everybody else does. You be the student that is the catalyst of change by still going to the same school, doing the same thing, but just honoring your teachers. Man, I, I used to tell our students all the time, students would come back to me after a couple of months of purposely saying, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say anything negative to my teachers. I'm going to honor them. I'm going to respect them. If they ask me to do something, even if I don't get why, I'm just going to submit to that. And I just want to see God use me in that way to be a witness. So many of them would say, you would not believe just doing those basic things, how much it changed their perception of school, how much it changed their teacher's perception of them, how much they said, you know, I used to hate school, but now I seem to enjoy it. It's amazing when we actually purposely say, God, I'm going to use everything you've given me to serve and to just be loving to those around me, how it changes everything. Have you guys seen that in your own life? Now listen, it's kind of a low crowd. You've got to interact with me here because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall asleep if you don't keep me going here, okay? I need a few amens. I need something. I mean, if you want to throw a hallelujah in there, that's cool. I'm good with that, okay? But this is truth. I mean, we, we live our lives every single day doing ordinary stuff. Most of us aren't doing tremendously extraordinary things every single day. You're not in a position of this dominant leadership role where the whole world is paying attention to you and your influence. Most of us are just doing our thing every day. And don't let the ordinary make you think you can't be used by God to do extraordinary things. We have to realize it's just about using what God has given us with him purposely on our minds. It starts in the church and it goes out from there. I don't think we can start out there and then bring it into the church. I don't think that's the design. So many churches, we talked about this even on Wednesday night. And don't forget every Wednesday night, we follow up from this morning. And so Wednesday night, we're going to unpack this even more so on Wednesday night, this idea of giving and, and loving my church through giving. But as we really step back and think about it, so many churches are trying to change their communities by focusing on the communities instead of realizing it's through the catalyst of the local church that God changes the world. And we think we can disconnect those two, that either we're in-reach kind of church or we're an outreach kind of church. Well, our church does discipleship really, really well. Well, this church does evangelism or outreach really, really well. As though they're two different separate spheres. No, no, no. They're interconnected. You cannot be the evangelist you need to be in the world unless you're being discipled and encouraged in the church. This is where people say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, that's fine, but you're just telling me based on God's word, that you're actually not only not going to church, so you're forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, but you're also not fulfilling these other things you're supposed to be doing because you're not getting that discipleship and encouragement you need. And you might say, well, what does the Bible say? Doesn't it say we have the Holy Spirit? We don't need a human teacher. And the Bible says that. You, don't, you have the Spirit of God. You don't need a human teacher. Do you know who he wrote that to? He wrote that through the church. That was directed to the body of Christ. It wasn't saying, no, no, forget the church, you know, fluff off the church because you have the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing the Holy Spirit uses the church 
speaks to the church so we can do what we're called to do for Christ out in the world. Do you know why missionaries are on the field right now in places all over the world serving? Because local churches gather together funds every week and then give them to them so they can go out into the world. Do you see how it's, it's not two separate things? You're not an in-reach church or an outreach church. We're supposed to be the church. So we reach in and we reach out. It's all part of this sphere that is the church. And we talk about this idea of giving, that I love my church through giving. I know we talked about tithing a couple months ago. And this is not a tithing message necessarily. This is just an idea of being giving, being generous as a whole. And I want to look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. This is such a cool Simple verse. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. As you're getting there, uh, just a quick reminder as well. I forgot to mention this, and I so appreciate somebody approached me and said, hey, is that going on this week? Um, don't forget, men's and ladies' Bible studies start this week. So ladies, you're meeting at Tuesday morning. If you're in the morning session, 9.15, I believe. There's a Thursday evening session for the ladies as well. And our men's uh, Bible study meets this Thursday um, and I believe the time is 6.30. I think that's right. Someone give me a nah. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. So 6.30, the men's and ladies Thursday night are meeting. And so uh, definitely make sure if you're signed up for that, be a part of that study. We'd love to have you. If you've not signed up, real quick, if you've not signed up, you don't have a book, any kind of stuff, you're not paid for a book, and you want to go, show up, okay? We will let you be a part of the study. Just show up. We can work out all the details later. But if you want to be a part of that, just come on out. Tuesday morning, also, ladies, uh, there is nursery available. I was told there is nursery available for that session. So uh, stay-at-home mom or you got some kids at home or whatever, you're obviously invited to come as well. So uh, Acts 20.35, very simple verse, but I believe it kind of sets the tone for what we're going to talk about this morning. It says here, Paul or Luke is writing here. and Listen to what he says here. I've showed you all things... How that's so laboring, you ought to support the weak. This is about Paul and Paul's ministry here. He says, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Man, isn't that an awesome truth? And we've, we can forget it so easily, can't we? We've, we've flipped that, don't we? In America today, how do, how do we label somebody as blessed? Look at all that they've got. Look at all this stuff. And so we think, well, if I get more stuff, I'm more blessed. Seems here, Paul is saying, didn't Jesus say, no, 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 no. It's much more blessed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so I'm going to ask that we pray and just ask God to kind of give us wisdom in this and then we'll unpack this a little bit together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word in our lives. It's a truth that we rest in and that we lean on. And I just pray, Lord, that we would understand these truths for ourselves. That we would see you for who you are. That we would lift you up. Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you for a body of believers that can gather together to encourage each other. A local place of just worship and fellowship and encouragement. That we can pray for one another. We can support one another. We can lift each other up. Lord, in a world that wants to tear us down, in a world that's full of so much hatred and evil, motives that we can't even trust, we don't know why someone's even being kind to us. Do they just want something from us? And so, Father, may your church set a different tone. May we continue to walk in this idea that when we give, it's not that we may receive in return. Jesus, Lord Jesus, you said it in the Gospels that, that when we throw a dinner, we shouldn't invite only those they can return the favor. We don't invite the wealthy and the rich and the, the well-to-do and the social elite. You said, no, no, no. Rather, invite those that society looks down on. Invite those that are poor and weak and feeble. Uh, invite those that could never return the favor because then that's when we'll be blessed. Our motive isn't to be blessed in return. Our motive is to be a blessing. And I'm so thankful because when you, through that banquet using the picture there of a banquet for salvation. You didn't just go after the religious, the elite, the wealthy. You came after me. Lord, and spiritually speaking, I'm poor and, and weak and feeble. I have nothing to offer. I could never return the favor of what you did for me. And yet you still invited me to come. You opened your doors and you let me in. 
So I pray that we would realize that, that you understand giving more than any of us could ever. But may we just by your grace just understand enough of it to apply it to our lives today. Help us to be world changers, not because of who we are, but because of who you are in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this verse. Um, and many of us know the end well, that it is better to give than to receive. And so my question to you is, don't answer out loud, but for yourself, do you really believe that? Like, do we really honestly believe that it is truly more blessed, there is more of a blessing in giving than receiving? Not just do we believe that in our church, but do we speak and live it in a way that demonstrates that belief? If you're like me, it's really easy to say you believe something, isn't it? It's just, yeah, yeah, I believe that. But how do we demonstrate that belief? We live it out. And as we're living out that idea of generosity, that's how we actually show what we really truly believe. One author said very well that Paul was sharing the supreme beatitude. The supreme beatitude. Many of you know that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and it goes all the way to the end of chapter 7. And it's just some powerful, powerful things in there. I mean, he says things in there that nobody would say in that day and age or today. Uh, in fact, I've even heard politicians, it was a few years ago, I don't remember who it was, said, you know, if we tried to apply that type of living to our lives today, we couldn't live. It would be impossible to live under those things. It's just such a high standard of living. And we understand that Jesus was saying what? It's not that you have to live these things to be saved. He's saying, really projecting it forward, as a follower of Christ, these are the things that flow out of you. These are the types of ways that you live as a follower of Christ. These are the works, if you will, that James talks about in his epistle. And so James, or Matthew chapter 5, opens up with these beatitudes. Blessed is he that this. Blessed is he that that. And does anyone know, what does that word blessed mean? Does anyone know what that means? What does it mean? It says, blessed is he who is uh, poor. Blessed is he who is persecuted for money. So what does blessed mean there? It means happy, right? Happy is he. Happy is he. And we would think, well, happiness is circumstantial. What Jesus is talking about when he says happy, he really means there's this joy. There's a joy that comes from being persecuted for Christ. Isn't that awesome? That means when somebody's persecuting you or calling you names, you don't mope, you don't put your head down, you don't say, oh, woe is me. What do you say? You say, God, I have joy for this. Isn't that a crazy way to think about it? That's not normal. <laughs> what does Paul say? I joy in all tribulations. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time taking joy in all tribulations. Anyone else have a hard time taking joy in tribulations? Okay. Some of you are like, I don't know what tribulation means. Bad stuff. Trials, okay, not good times, okay. But here we understand in this Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is saying, Blessed is he, blessed is he. But here Paul says, Didn't Jesus say to us, Isn't it the words of Christ that if you give rather than receive, you're more blessed? Jesus never says in the Beatitudes, More blessed is he who does this. It's always, Blessed is he, blessed is he. So one author said, Man, this is kind of like the supreme Beatitude. This is like the top dog. A summary of all the Beatitudes, a, a way to live. We call them Beatitudes because it's how our attitude should be. We think this way. And a way to paraphrase this verse would be say it, say it like this. It is better to share with others than to keep what you have and collect more. Because think about it this way. You could say, well, if I give, then I'm actually more blessed than he who receives. So I'm I'm higher up the blessing chart, if you will. Is that what, what Paul was saying here? No, no, no. He's just saying, listen, the one who receives is blessed as well, right? Like if you have nothing and someone gives you something, are you blessed? Especially if we're talking about joy, right? You ever have a need and it just shows up? How can you describe that feeling, just that joy that just wells up inside? I describe it as kind of sometimes feeling like a spoiled kid with God. Like he does what we ask him to do at times and other times he'll do something we didn't even ask for. You ever have a prayer request answered you didn't even pray yet? And God takes care of it and you're just in awe? And I don't know about you, but you just feel this overwhelming weight of just, man, you're so good. Like it's so hard to imagine the goodness of God. That he would go above and beyond all the time and just continue to provide. And so obviously we know if you receive, you are blessed. But what is he saying here? It's not so much that you're better than the one who receives. Saying, no, no, no. Because you have and you give to those in need, you actually, it's, it's better. You're more blessed individually so that you understand it's better to give than to keep what you have 
and collect more. Man, talk about flying in the face of the American dream. Talk about flying in the face of cultural success. Man, if he who has the most toys when he dies wins. That's the idea. If we just keep piling and amassing things. Anybody ever go down in like your basement or your storage room, wherever you throw the stuff that you don't have any room for? You guys know what I'm talking about. That's that room, that space. And like six months goes by, a year goes by. Sometimes this happens when we move, right? And you go to this area and you're like, I didn't even know we had this anymore. You ever have that happen to you? Anybody? Yeah? Where did that come from? Wow, I forgot all about this. No joke. For our wedding, around my wedding in 2005, someone gave me a deep fryer, little deep fryer thing, okay? Put it in the basement after maybe a year or so of using it twice, okay? This is how it goes. You put it in the basement. Oh, I know. We'll store it with all the other appliances in the basement. We'll obviously come down and use them at some point and get them and bring them up. Years go by. Forget it's even down there. I was with some friends, and they said they were going to do something. They were going to make some wings, like deep fry some wings. There's nothing better than deep fried wings, barbecue sauce. I mean, it's just good stuff. And I said, oh, man, that sounds really, really good. I could go for one of those. I literally went home and told Sandra, we should get a deep fryer so I can make wings. And she looked at me and just, what you, we have a deep fryer. No, we don't. We don't have a deep fryer. She said, yeah, we do. We go in the basement. There it is, under like this much dust that's just buried in the... Oh, we have a deep fryer. Look at that. Okay. That's what I mean. Sometimes we, we're so blessed. We have mass things, and we're so blessed, we forget what we have. Like, compare that to other places in the world. Do you think that happens in, like, Ethiopia, in these tribal villages where people are starving for one meal a day? Do you think they have things that are like, oh, I totally forgot we had a whole extra loaf of bread in the freezer? Do you see how we can get so... I, I was just talking to somebody this last week that said, man, you know, they were talking about their groceries. And they said, I just kind of, when I go shopping, I buy extra canned goods because it's always nice to have on hand. And we do the same thing. We have a pantry and we stock up on certain things when deals come through. And then you hear about a family in need of food and you think, oh, wait, I've got, you know, extra of this or extra of that. And you can go be a blessing to them because you have surplus. Sometimes we give out of our lack too, don't we? You don't have the surplus and you give anyway. Like the guy in the video said that, you know, you end your checkbook. I got $62 for a week and a half for my wife and I. And I've been there. And you're like, okay, Lord, and I still got to, you know. The next thing you do, isn't this how the Lord is? And it's so good that he's like this. You look at your checking account, and the first thing you think is what? All right, we're going to tighten her down and not doing any spending, right? Because we've got $60 to last a week and a half. And about three, four days into that master plan, what does God do? Often he'll bring someone to our attention, and they have a need. Oh, but Lord, you know where I'm at financially. And he goes, oh, I'm very aware of where you're at financially. I'm more aware of it than you are. And then we can actually just kind of have that moment of like, Lord, and we want to be good stewards. I'm not saying we just empty our account, but I'm saying if God leads to help someone need, and you you have the means by which to do it, man, we can't sit back and go, oh, but I just, I got it. What about, what if I need this two days from now? What if that? You know, we just respond. And isn't there just a great joy that comes? Not when it comes back in finances, because that doesn't always happen either. But isn't a great joy when you give and you see someone's needs are met? And you just know, man, that was the most Christ-like thing I could do right there. What does James 2 say? If, you're, if they're naked and destitute and afflicted and in need of daily food, and you walk by and say, peace, be filled, be warm. You know what that's like the equivalent of today? I'll pray for you. Now, we should pray for them. Don't get me wrong. But if that's all we do, what does James say? What good does that do the guy that's sitting there naked, hungry, and beaten up? It doesn't do him any good. No, no, no. It's much better to say, listen, I'll pray for you, and here I'll do this because I can do that. Now, we can't always meet every need. That's the, see, I went through a little time where I was like, okay, I'm not only going to meet the needs that's in my influence. I'm going to meet all needs because I just, that's it. And I'm not kidding you. I told you guys before, somebody blessed us. This was like maybe a couple years ago. Gave us a big box of food, canned goods and cereal and all kinds of stuff. And I come in the house and I'm like this. And I look at Sandra. She's like, that's awesome. I was like, I know. I go put it on the table. Like, praise the Lord. It's great. Right when, of course, go figure, we had some needs financially. Couldn't really get as much groceries. And so she goes in the kitchen and I'm in there and I'm taking stuff out of the box. And I set some stuff on the table and I go downstairs to get another box. And I come upstairs and I put it on the table. I start putting stuff in the box. And she comes in and she's like, what are you doing? 
Why are you putting it in two different boxes? I said, well, I figure we'll take this stuff and we can give this stuff to someone else. And she stood there with a look like you're giving me now. She's like, what are you talking about? No, we need this stuff. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I know this family. They can really use some of this. And so we got to be careful there. I'm not saying we don't give. I'm not saying we always give everything. We have to stop and go, okay, Lord, why did you bless me with this? Whatever it is. How can I then use this for your glory? Now, do we need to hold on to this because we actually really do have a need of all of this? Or can we give some of it away? We still gave some of it away. And it was so cool because now you're like, hey, some, and somebody's like, oh, thank you so much. I was like, it wasn't me. They blessed me. I'm just passing on the blessing. It wasn't in my power. I didn't do anything. And then you realize, oh, it is so much more blessed to give than to receive. And so as we walk this through this morning, I just want to understand it's not about being more blessed than someone else. It's about personally, individually experiencing this supreme beatitude. And so I want to walk through this real quick. We're going to talk about just a couple of things this morning, uh, kind of generalities. And I want to look at three simple ways, three simple ways to be giving. Three steps, if you will, to help us to be more generous or more giving. Three things. If you're taking notes, write them down. The first thing we have to do to be more giving to experience the more blessing, is to release your grip. To release your grip. This is the hardest part for us to apply. To release our grip admits we are surrendering control. This is where some will tell you that if you open your hand, releasing your possessions, that God will fill your hand with something better. I don't know if you ever heard this. When I say release my grip, I mean I'm holding on to my stuff, my possessions, my time, my talents, my everything, my life. And Jesus is calling me to just say, okay, I'm going to release my grip and let it into God's hands and just take my hands off of it. It's yours. What did we say a few months ago in, in a series we did? I'm going to take control for the things that I'm having control over, right, that I'm supposed to be responsible for, but the things I can't control, I'm going to give to God. And I'm going to surrender these things and let him lead me and guide me. I'm just a manager of it anyway, right? What does steward mean? Steward means the idea of, of a manager to oversee a household. Okay? It's just this, I kind of handle the funds or the stuff or the time or the talents for his glory. And as we release our grip, if you listen to some pastors and preachers and teachers and even some authors, they will say things like this. And the minute you release your grip on that one thing, you have an open hand. And now God will fill that open hand with something else. I've heard this. Nowhere does it say that's going to happen. Could he fill my hand with something better than what I just let go of? Could he? Or could it just stay empty for a while too? And that's the truth of it. We don't release our hands and go, okay, God, I took my hand off of that. Now give me something better. I let go of my finances. Give me more finances. I let go of my time. Give me more time. God nowhere says that's a guarantee thing. There are times, and in fact, many times for some of us, when we open our hands and surrender, and God not only doesn't give us something better, we almost go through a season of trial and struggle. Isn't that frustrating? You commit, oh, God, this is all yours. And then you turn over here and it's like, oh, look, a trial. Like, why aren't things just miraculously coming my way? Why isn't everything perfect? I did what you wanted me to do over here. And God says, no, no, no. I'm glad you did this. And now I'm going to allow you to go through this so you can have this and be this over here. And so what do we do? We don't release with a guarantee of something better in our hands. We release because we're trusting God is good. And we're trusting God has called me to let go of these things for his glory. Of course, we know that it is not worse what we seem to go through right after we let go. We see beyond the moment and we see that there is a joy when we surrender to him. Do You see, why did Paul say in Romans, I take joy in all tribulation? Do you think he was really happy to be shipwrecked? Do you think Paul in Acts 16 was so overjoyed to get whipped within an inch of his life and then thrown in a dank, dark, nasty prison? Was he like, mm, that's so good, God, thank you for that. I'm so joyful I just got beat. I'm so joyful I just got shipwrecked and almost drowned. No. So what is the joy, where does the joy come from? The joy comes because, God, I know that you're using this. I know that you're shaping and conforming me to the image of Christ. What does James say about patience? Man, he says, hey, when you're going through diverse temptations, testings and trials and things like that, let patience have its perfect will. Endure through that. Why? Because I take joy in what he's going to do through those things. And so I release my grip. And no matter what comes after I release my grip, I trust that God is still good. And that's why I let go. I trust that God is still worthy of all that I have. And I let go to praise him. 
So we release our grip. Secondly, we tighten our belts. We tighten our belts. This is where we make room to help people. The idea is simple and direct. I'm going to plan or maybe even designate finances or time to help those in need. Or it means we're not going to live so close to our means so that if an opportunity comes up, we can be generous. So we release our grip and then we tighten our belts and we expect to be giving. We, we anticipate opportunities coming. Usually, if you know this to be true, you've experienced it, usually an opportunity for someone in need isn't scheduled, is it? You don't get a phone call and says, hey, in three weeks, I'm going to need something. So can you be ready to give me that? It doesn't happen that way. Someone in need, it isn't scheduled. It's random or in the moment. So we must do all that we can to make ourselves ready to respond. Now, again, let me, let me back this up a little bit here. I know that we constantly we go to finances because that's the easiest thing to kind of target. It's so much more than that. It's not just finances. It's scheduling. Maybe you get a little extra groceries so that in case you need to make a meal for someone in need or has surgery, you, could, you already have the supplies ready to go. You can just go take a meal to them on, a fly, on the fly. It's just the idea that I'm going to plan ahead that I'm going to be generous. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Writing to the Corinthian church about giving, uh, this idea that they were collecting an offering to take to those in need. Listen to what he says. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Now, we like that, don't we? That'll preach right there. You can, you can sell a book on that little part of the verse right there. You will be enriched in every way. And some people have made books and made lots of money on stuff like that. But it doesn't stop there. He says, yes, you will be enriched in every way. So that, so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. And isn't it amazing? Paul's saying, when you guys, you collected this offering to go to those that are going through a famine, that need food, when I take your gifts to them, and I present them to them, and I say, here's what the church in Corinth did, here's what they collected, they're going to glorify God through the church. And isn't it great that they don't glorify the Corinthian church? Nowhere does it say that they glorify the Corinthians. They'd say, no, 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 they're going to glorify God because as a church, you were the church to them. You were the church, and now they have their needs met, and now they're going to glorify God through you. But what does he say? Why does he enrich us? Why does God allow us to be enriched, whether it's extra time, extra food, extra finances, whatever, so that you can always be generous? Again, this is not always financial help. It may be meals or time spent with someone. However you look at it, we prepare to be generous. So we release our grip, tighten our belt, and then the last one, the easiest one, we look for opportunities. We look for opportunities. Opportunities to give are around us often. We are called to give our time, our talents, and our spiritual journeys as encouragements to others. Now, here's the truth. We're all busy, aren't we? Anybody in here that would love to have an extra two hours this week with no commitment time? It's just an extra two hours. You get a bonus two hours. Anybody? You can do with it whatever you want. You can sleep. Amen? Right? You can eat. You could sleep. You could sleep some more. I mean, two hours bonus time. All of us would love more time. Do you know the one thing you can't make more of? Time. Can we make more money? Sure. Can we make more memories? Yep. We can't make more time. It's the only commodity that is limited, completely limited to a set time, a set amount. You can't increase it. You can't make more of it. So what do we do? We look at the time we have and we say, okay, how can I invest this time to the glory of God? And again, it's not about doing more. Man, we, we hear messages like this. We're like, oh, great. I got to serve and do more. No, no, no. What I'm saying is take the time you already have and just prepare with that time to be generous. Look for opportunities. When you're in your workplace, it's not about doing more. It's just about being aware. Listen to conversations of your, your coworkers. When you overhear someone say, hey, so-and-so's in the hospital, so cool. Somebody contacted me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, a coworker of mine's husband was just diagnosed with stage four cancer. Like that. Now, first of all, I, that phone call in and of itself, man, 
My heart breaks for people that get that call. I can't imagine. You're just living your life. And then, hey, by the way, listen. Man, I don't know about you. My heart just breaks for people that go through that. And this person said, hey, would you go pray with them? And I said, absolutely. I would love to. And so I went, and by the time I was able to get with them, they had come home from the hospital. It was like the next day I was booked out of town. And I said, well, Wednesday I can do it. And so Wednesday morning this person said, hey, they just got home. I'm going to see if it's okay if you stop by the house. I said, please do. I had a chance to go sit in his family's living room and just pray with them. Why? Because I thought about, man, I just want to take the time. I didn't give them anything. I didn't do anything for them. I didn't make them a meal. I I just sat with them and shared the gospel with them and just prayed with them. Man, do you realize the power of just taking time with someone? The look on their face when they said, "I I can't believe you'd come and stop by and just talk to us. We don't even know you. Like, we don't go to your church. We don't even go to church, let alone your church. And sometimes it's not even about the money. It's not about the stuff. It's about just sitting with someone or just hearing a coworker say, hey, I pray for my husband. Or what you think of my son who's going through this? And then you just, a little Holy Spirit speaks to your voice and you go, what can I do? Man, isn't it powerful, the influence that we have when we just listen to people and we hear their needs? I love that Paul says that we have these things so that we can always be generous. We're looking for opportunities. Again, we are all busy, but it only takes a moment of generosity in Christ's name that can change someone's eternity. Man, the difference that can be made in someone's life in just a moment when we're motivated by Christ's glory and praise can change an eternity. I love what Hebrews chapter 13 verses 1 and 2 says. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let brotherly love continue. That's, that's right. We could stop right now. Just let brotherly love continue. And it doesn't mean that it's not. It's saying in the body of Christ, let the love of the brothers and sisters just continue. Can you, the difference that would make. What's the, what's the stipulation on that? When does that not have to be? When can I not let brotherly love continue? What's my out in that verse? There isn't one, right? It doesn't say, let brotherly love continue unless they're a Michigan State fan. I'm just saying, that's the hardest one. You know what I'm saying? Unless they're a Buckeye. I don't really, I love the Buckeye fans because I just pray for them. I'm so, I just feel a brokenness for their wanderings. I just... It doesn't say any stipulations. There's nothing. It doesn't, unless they offend you or they curse you or they get mad at you or they talk junk about you. It doesn't say anywhere. Let brotherly love continue unless. And you just say, no, no, let it continue. Let it continue to foster. That is extremely difficult, isn't it? Because of imperfect people. I'll be honest with you guys. There's times in my church history that I've been saved since 98 until today. That in the church, it has been difficult, to say the least, if not seemingly impossible, to love the church. And I'll be transparent enough to say there is a lot of times in between that time that I did not truly love his church. That I was, in fact, quite angry with his church. But it's on me in that point, isn't it? Like, can I look at God and go, it's your fault I don't love your church? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. He says, no, 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 let brotherly love continue. But then he goes on from there, and I love this. He says, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. We see here that we find opportunity among the church, our brothers and sisters. We love the church. We let brotherly love continue. But then, he says, we go outside the church with this idea of strangers and we minister to them. So we start in the church. We're loving one another. How can I love the world if I can't love my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I say I love Jesus without loving my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? Peter says, hey, you, you, you say you love God, but you don't love each other. Then how can you love God? You've seen each other. You've never even seen God. So if we don't love one another, we can never love strangers. We can be nice to them, we can be cordial to them, but we can't truly have a love for them. If we don't love one another, we're not going to love the world or the strangers. The word entertain here 
literally is translated to receive as a guest or to, be hosp- uh, to have hospitality or to be hospitable. To receive as a guest. Now, I'm not saying you guys go into your neighborhood and if a stranger knocks on your door, like, yeah, sure, you can stay the night. Okay, like some random person off the street. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is it's a spirit of hospitality. Whether you know them or not, you try to go above and beyond and see how you can serve them. But again, it doesn't just happen on its own. It happens because we're loving the church. Therefore, we can love those in the world. And so we tighten our belt. Or I'm sorry, we release our grip. We tighten our belt and we look for opportunities. But why do we do all these things? What drives me to do these three things? I truly believe it comes down to the fact that we are committed. First, we're committed to the Lord. Why would I release my grip and tighten my belt and look for opportunities to serve? Because I'm committed to the Lord. We have surrendered our life to him as our Lord and Savior. So we give freely because we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. I've been saying all morning that our stuff is not ours, that it's just leased to us. Well, guess what else is not yours? Your life. It has been leased to you, and you are a bought possession with a seal. You've been marked by your maker. You've been marked unto the day of redemption. Doesn't it make you feel good when the Bible says things like the redeemed possession? That's how you're described in the Bible as a saved person. A redeemed, or will be a redeemed possession. You may think, that doesn't sound very loving, very kind. Well, no, he says, you're beloved and you're my son and you're my daughter and all those things too. But he says, listen, I bought you. Like, I own you is what it's literally translated as. And so if I am not my own and my stuff is not my own, then I must be committed to the one that owns me and I freely give myself to him. In today's church culture, we tend to compartmentalize our lives and believe that our lives have made up its sacred and secular, that this is sacred for God and this is secular. This is just for me. That seems pretty simple, but it causes a lot of issues. As a follower of Christ, everything in your life is sacred. As I've already said, your job, sacred. Do you know why your job is sacred? Because God can use you there to make disciples for Christ. Your job is your mission field. It's sacred. There's a call over you. Mom and dad, your children, sacred. Your home, sacred. There is no such thing as secular in the life of a follower of Christ. It's all for him, and we surrender it all to him. Paul says in Romans 12, we are here to be a living sacrifice. Pretty clear that I cannot think this or that is mine. It is all a blessed opportunity to surrender to him for his glory. So why do we read of the early church so freely giving up their possessions? Why do we read of early church believers giving everything to God? Because they were truly committed to Christ above all things. I will release my grip, tighten my belt, and look for opportunities when I'm committed to Christ. But I also believe it means we're committed to the local church. I believe it's a commitment to Christ and also a commitment to the local church. The issue is that many Christians are not truly committing to a local church. Some even think that since all believers are part of the universal church in Christ, all Christians all over the world, does it really matter if I join with a local church? I mean, I attend regularly. Let me just kind of walk through some things that I was studying this last week. While it is true, we don't see membership classes in the New Testament. We do see believers gathering in a local assembly to fulfill the Great Commission, to remember the Lord's Supper, and to serve with their gifts and exercise discipline on those that are in unrepentant sin. Unfortunately, many, many Christians never commit to a local church as members and miss out on the blessings and the benefits of love and accountability. And there's so many blessings to being a part, a connected part, a member of a local church. And I truly believe that if you want to really serve God as he's calling you and be as giving as he's calling you to be, I believe that's great to have that desire. But until you commit fully to him and commit to his local church, I don't believe we can really see that happening in our lives consistently. I don't believe we're going to see that type of encouragement to continue to move forward. One author said it well, that we need to stop dating the church. I love this. We need to stop dating the church. The idea of dating the church comes from the idea that Christians approach church with a consumer-driven church market concept. 
Who gives me the best product? Who does the best for me? Who serves me? Who honors me? Who looks to me? Who makes me feel appreciated and loved? Now, we should love and appreciate one another. I'm not saying that. But when I walk in with this consumer-driven attitude, it's like I'm dating the church. It's like I'm checking the church out. Well, this church has got this that's nice, and that church has got this. It's like saying, well, she's got a nice personality, but she's better looking. That's what we're talking about here. We, we kind of simplify it down. Listen to this. Of the 114 times, again, if you're taking notes, 114 times that we see the primary word for the church, ecclesia in the Greek, in the New Testament, at least 90 of them refer to specific local gatherings of Christians. 114 times the word ecclesia or church is used. 90 of them refer to a specific local gathering of Christians. This reveals to us that believers are joined together in local bodies of Christ that are tangible, visible expressions of the universal body of Christ. And can I just tell you something? And you can say amen right here if you'd like. I personally am so blessed to be a part of the church of God at MLA City. Now, I just always love in the Bible, they would say, it wouldn't say, here's the part of the universal church that meets at Corinth. Say, no, 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 no. Here's the church of God in Corinth. Here's the church of God in Ephesus. Here's the church of God in Galatia. And we, as we gather together as the body of Christ, the local gathering, God looks down, Christ looks down and says, there's the local church of God in MLA City. Now, we're not the only church of God in MLA City. I don't believe that. I believe there's other bodies of Christ that meet together every Sunday morning in MLA City. But I'm still thankful that we get to be a part of a church, a local church gathering that is the church of God, the church of Christ, his body in MLA City. And we get to connect together. And so I encourage you, membership is not about putting your name on a piece of paper that you will be served and given and you know, honored and all these things. We will serve and we will honor you and love you and pray with you and encourage you and all those things, of course. But the motive for joining a local church is not what I get out of it. The part of joining a local church is what I can give to the church. How I can feed the church with my time, my talents, my finances, my prayers. How can I give to the local church? I love what David Platt says, kind of in conclusion. It's just a great quote from a study we did a couple last year called Follow Me. And I love this quote. It's a great way to kind of wrap up the message this morning in conclusion. He says this, that Christ's design for the church Listen to what he says here. As men and women die to themselves and live in Christ, God brings them together as brothers and sisters in a family of faith. This community of Christians worships with one another regularly, serves one another selflessly, guards one another graciously, gives to one another generously, and cares for one another compassionately. In such community, we find ourselves living to see each other stand firm in the Lord. Man, I'm so thankful. I get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of that. That we get to come together and do those things for one another. And so I want to ask you this, this afternoon, this morning, are you committed to the Lord? Are you committed to Him wholeheartedly? Surrender to Him in all things? And then I would ask, are you committed to the local church? Are you willing to give generously to one another? I want to encourage us to release our grip, tighten our belt, and look for opportunities wherever they may be in our lives. If you want to join this church, if you want to be a member of the church and experience all the many blessings of what it means to be a part of a local church, I would love to talk to you more about that after service. I'll be, I'll be down front here. If you want to come and pray, I'd love to pray with you about that. But more than committing to a local church, I want you to commit to the Lord this morning. Because that's where it all starts. If I'm not committed to him, the rest of it is just fluff and smoke and mirrors. Man, are we really committed to him that we are willing to look for opportunities and when he says give, I give. I don't need a reason. I don't need a plan. I don't need it all worked out. I'm just going to step out by faith and give. And I can do that because I've planned to give. I've prepared. I've, what does Daniel say? I've purposed in my heart. Long before the time comes, I'm purposing in my heart, this is what I'm going to do. That's all we're talking about this morning. We're going to be generous because Christ was generous to us and sent his son 
I'm sorry, God was generous to us and sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins. He gave everything for us. And all he asks is, would you just surrender to me that I can use you to make disciples and to glorify my name? Would you bow in prayer with me this morning as we take some time for invitation? As you bow in prayer right there where you are, I just want to ask you simply this morning, the invitation is very basic. Are you committed to the Lord? I mean, I'm not just talking about like on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or when church is going on. I'm asking, are you committed? Are you surrendered? Have you surrendered your life to him as a follower of Christ? Do you know him as your Lord and personal Savior? And if you'd say, yes, I've, I've received Christ, I've repented of my sin, and I've believed that he died on the cross for my sin, was buried and rose again, I believe those things then I would ask, are you committed to him? Are you, do you look at your stuff as not yours but his? Your life, not yours but his. And if you are committed to him, are you committed to the local church? Are you committed to a local body of believers that can encourage you and support you, that you can serve and use your gifts and talents to, to minister to? And then through that church, we give not just to the church or through the church, we go out through the church into the community. And now we're giving as an expression of that church, of that body of believers. It is so crucial to understand that we need each other. However God is moving or leading or guiding, would you just respond to him this morning? Maybe you want to come forward and bend a knee in prayer. Maybe you want to connect to this local church. You can sign up as soon as service is over for membership. Say, I'm going to be a member of this church. I want to join this church. Maybe you don't know what that looks like and you just have some questions, then maybe you'd sign up and say, I just want to ask some questions so I can know more about what does that look like to join a church. We welcome you to be a part of that, whatever that looks like. But maybe you want to come and pray this morning and just say, God, help me to be committed to you above all things, that you would be glorified in my life, that I would release my grip. Lord, you know it's hard. I need to let go of this stuff, that I would tighten my belt, that I would prepare and plan and purpose in my heart to give, and I'd look for opportunities this week to be generous in Christ's name, that you would be glorified and that they would glorify you through the gift. Father, pray that you would lead God and direct in all these things. We need you, Lord, to speak to us. We need to be shaped and molded and encouraged by you to walk in a way that honors you, to walk in accordance with our calling because it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we ask that you'd be glorified in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Whether you want to sing out with the band as they lead us in a song of invitation, maybe you want to come and pray. We invite you to come do that. Would you respond to the Lord this morning?